want to just briefly kind of piggyback something John mentioned in the prayer just a moment ago, something that you've heard mentioned if you worship with us regularly, that, that most often if you're in this service you hear John uh, draw your attention to, but that is to just, again, remind you and maybe challenge you a little bit um, to be intentional about our prayer list and praying for each other. When If you've joined this church, if you're a member here or maybe are a member at another church, you probably took similar vows in United Methodist Church, you should have taken the same vows. And that is one of the things we commit to is to um, uphold the church by our prayers. One of the vows we make is by our prayers. And, and every week John references, or I may reference, the prayer list that we put on each table around the room that has every prayer that is submitted on those blue cards that many of you put in each week that we pray for each week. But our challenge, we, we have faithful team that, that gets these or t that meets here and prays or, or gets them directly via email. But, but I want to challenge you to pray for them as well and to take one of these with you. If you don't grab it on the way in, grab one on the way out. There's a lot of names here. And, and I know some folks will pray over every name, and that's wonderful. But I know some folks that will just pick a few names and will just focus their prayers, and that's okay too. But, but for us to be intentional about lifting each other up and needs beyond our community. So that's just kind of my prompting to you, my pushing a little bit, is that you would, you would take these and, and, and make it so that we have to print more because we're praying so much. That's, that's one of my prayers. So I just uh, I share that with you as we begin. I also want to say a word of thanks uh, to, to Reverend Dave who's here, uh, who preached last week and stepped in. My dad will be at the next service, so I'll harass him in that service. But um, just to thank both Dave and, and, and Dad for stepping in and allowing Tony and I to, uh, to be, and John, and everyone who kind of steps in and fills in when we're gone. It was good, it was good for us to be away for, um, for eight days, two Sundays. If you were here the last couple weeks, you know that I wasn't. But uh, it was a perfect length. It was just long enough to disconnect. And it was also long enough to say by the end we were ready to come home. So, uh, so it, was a, it was a good time. And, um, and again, I, I, my thoughts were with you. Each Sunday, even as I was floating in the Caribbean, I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking of you. So I was. I didn't, didn't I mention it to Tony? I said, they're worshiping right now as we were sitting on deck chairs around a pool. So, uh, but... Uh, I know, you feel bad for me. I can feel your, your sympathy. Um, all right, we, uh, one of the things that happened, and if you've been on cruises before, um, it's a pretty familiar bit that cruise directors do. But at some point during the cruise, they'll, they'll share um, some of the most ridiculous questions they've ever been asked. Maybe you've, you've heard some of these before. They, they go back many, many years. But the, 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 the kind of the foundational question that they all say that they've been asked at one point or another is, do these stairs go up or down? Let it sink in. Catch up to it. Um, but I was listening to some of those, and one of the questions I'd never heard before, and again, I don't know if these are done, if these are really asked, but, but one of the, the cruise directors said that he was once asked whether or not the ship had ever sunk. And, and, you know, I sit there and go, really? Would somebody ask that? But, but I've lived long enough now to not be overly surprised by human behavior. 
And um, so, you know, they were talking about that. It was the other question that he said he was asked once is, does the crew, does the crew live on board? <laughs> Again. And as, as, you know, there's that part of me that goes, nobody would really ask that question. But, but again, I've, I've seen enough of human behavior to know that sometimes we all are guilty, at some degree or another, of missing the obvious stuff. I mean, sometimes it's, it's humorous and it's, it's, it's in ridiculous ways. We've, we've read the stories. I, I came across something the other day that talked about a guy who had attempted a jailbreak, which in and of itself isn't anything new. We hear about this from time to time. He tried to break out. He was recaptured. He was resentenced for an additional one and a half years. Here was the kicker. He was on his 89th day of a 90-day sentence when he tried to break out. And you sit there and you go, hello. You know, remember, remember um, Back to the Future? Hello, McFly. Anybody home? You know, that kind of a moment. You go, really? How, how could you do that? There was, there was one, that I, I may get in trouble for telling this one, but I read it was in Orlando. A guy tried to rob, well, he robbed a Home Depot. And he planned an escape route that would take him into a resort community where he was going to hide among the people. This is, I wish I was making this up. So he robs Home Depot. He runs into the resort community. He ran into a nude resort. <laughs> he was fully dressed. They didn't have a hard time finding him. <laughs> you know, that kind, of, that kind of behavior that you go, it's just, it's so crazy. It, it's so beyond rationale that, that you go, it, it, you know, it, it can't be real. The, the guy robbed a bank and, um, well, he actually worked at a bank. He worked at a bank and had gotten caught kind of cooking the books. And he went on the run to, to escape the law. He moved out west. He was in Arizona and he applied for a job under his name at a police station. All they did is ran a background check, figured out who he was. They scheduled him for an interview, and they arrested him at the interview. I mean, we could go on and on. You've, you know the stories. You've heard the stories. It's just stuff that you go, that just can't be real. People can't be that oblivious. But the reality is we are. And when I say we, I mean all of us. Not to that scale, not to that kind of level of silliness or ridiculousness, but we all do things where we miss the obvious moments where somebody in our life looks at us and goes, hello, you know. Uh, uh, Kimla this morning, our choir director. If you know Kimla, she, she didn't know she was giving me a sermon illustration. But she talked about, uh, she had already bought some of her school supplies. And she said, I put them right in front of my door so I'd bring them to church this morning. On the way out, I stepped over them and left them there. <laughs> now here, we laugh because I'll bet you you can identify with that. I'll tell on me. I'll tell you, I've done this more than once. I will be talking on my cell phone to Tony looking for my cell phone. Going, I know it's around here somewhere, you know, and, and it sinks in and you go, oh my gosh, you know, again, oblivious to what's right in front of us, so oblivious, certain levels, certain degrees, human nature, we, we fall into that, we, we have that tendency, God knows we have that tendency, as we turn to our scripture this morning, as we turn to Deuteronomy, in far more significant, far more significant ways, God wants to draw the attention of his people. God wants to draw our attention to something that too often we, we miss, we, we forget, we, we don't see. And that is his presence in the midst of the challenges that we face. So we're going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses. Just four verses here in, the, in this um, 
these words that Moses speaks to the people that God speaks through Moses. And uh, this is what we read, beginning at verse 1. When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them. Because the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, will be with you. When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Here, Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, help us. Help us to, to hear, to see, to, to be open to, to the truths that are they're not always as, as obvious as we may want them to be. But they are foundational and they are transformative. Your promises, your presence. Lord, speak to us in these moments. Speak through these words that I speak. And may they be pleasing to you. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. God knows the human heart. God knows human tendency. God knows how easy it is for us to forget his promises. And so here in Deuteronomy, God speaks through Moses to remind the people of his promise. And that is his presence. And there's an important reason why this is so necessary at this moment in the scripture. It, we read this promise throughout scripture. But, but Deuteronomy is a farewell discourse. This is Moses' farewell words to his people. The entire book of Deuteronomy is, is like this last, these last words that Moses speaks to the people of Israel before he dies. For 40 years he's been leading them. For 40 years in this journey through the wilderness, Moses has been the figure that the people have looked to. And he knows they're on the verge of entering the promised land, but he's not going with them. This is where his journey ends. And so in many ways, you can read Deuteronomy almost as a, as a father's parting words of wisdom or a mother's parting words of wisdom to, to their children. This is what he wants them to hold on to. This is what God wants to speak to the people through him. And, and many of these have their whole life, Moses has been leading the people. I mean, there's been 40 years. So there's a generation that has now come up that weren't in bondage in Egypt, weren't a part of that part of the story, which is why frequently in Deuteronomy you, you get a retelling of what God has done. And, and what's so important is, is I think that underlying this is an anxiety. I think what underlines the book of Deuteronomy is an anxiety among the people. What are we going to do now? They're not used to this kind of transition. What are we going to do with, if Moses is no longer there? If we can't see him in front? And, and what I believe God wants to say, and, and I mean this respectfully to the, to the person of leadership, but God wants to remind them, Moses was never your ultimate leader anyway. Moses was important. Moses was faithful. Moses brought the skills and the wisdom and the, the willingness to be open to the voice of God. But Moses was never the catalyst it was I who have gone before you. And, and we read that throughout Deuteronomy. It was I who have gone before you. And what he says to them, as they know that there are challenges yet to be faced. 
They faced them in the past. They know, the people, they don't know what the challenges are, but they know that there's going to be some significant obstacles yet to come. And, and they're scared. And they don't know how they're going to do it. And they don't know what they're going to do when those moments come. And what God says, primarily in verse 4, is that when you fight your battles, when you go into these moments, remember this, I'm with you. I fight for you. And ultimately, your victory is the victory that I give you. And what God wants them to do is to, 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 to resist this human tendency that we have to focus on what our adversary is, what our obstacle is, and to forget about the one who is our advocate. To forget about the one who is promised to be with us in the midst of whatever it is we face. And so we get distracted from what should be our focus by what is our foe, if you will. And that can sink us. That can intimidate, that can, can undermine us before the, the challenge even begins. My first year of organized football, I was 12 years old. We lived in Jacksonville. My parents had been um, adamant that, that we were never going to play football. And um, my, my brother Brian had a coach, a baseball coach by the name of Bubba, good southern boy. And Bubba convinced mom and dad to let us play football. So, so my first year I played on a team, the, if any of you know Jacksonville, I played for the North Jacksonville Cougars. And one of my very first games, we were playing Mandarin. And, and what stands out to me about that game, again, first year, so I'm kind of new to all of this, is I remember being out on the field and we were warming up, stretching. And all of a sudden, Mandarin came out. And in my eyes, they were giants. I mean, I was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen kids this big before. And I just, I mean, and I'm sure I wasn't the only one. And it was just one of those moments where we just froze and we're just watching them come. And I'll never forget our coach, who I don't even remember his name, but the coach of the team saw this. And he looked at it, he kind of yelled, eyes on me. Eyes on me. Because what he needed for us to do was not focus on the opponent, but to focus on getting ourselves ready, doing the things that we'd been prepared to do. He needed us to, as he would go on to say, to focus. They've got size, we had speed. And when I say we, I meant other kids on our team. Um, and, but, but what was happening, we were getting psyched out before the game ever began completely getting psyched out, but he refocused our attention. And what I remember so much about the game is we won that game. And, and, and because we had speed. Uh, we, and this kind of ancillary, but, but it's one of those just vivid memories you have from childhood. We was in a close game, and it was fourth quarter, and they drove all, I mean, they just powered all the way down the field. They got to the one-yard line, and we stopped them on the one. We were behind. The very next play, I kid you not, very next play, remember that team speed I told you about? Our halfback, his name was Derek. 99 yards for a touchdown. Uh, and he ran on my side, so I take credit for the block that got him there. Um, I don't know that I actually did anything, but I'll take credit for it. But, but here's my point. Here's, if we had stayed focused on how big they were, how scary they were to us, we'd have never had a chance. Eyes on me. I think that's what God is saying to the, to the Eyes on me. Eyes on me. I'll be with you. The, the story of the, of the men and women of faith in the scriptures 
are stories of men and women who didn't necessarily always possess the best gifts, the most talent, the most wisdom, the most of anything. What they did is they kept their eyes on God. In the midst of the obstacles and challenges, they were the ones, and they didn't always do this. They weren't perfect people, but they kept their eyes on God. And I th started thinking about them. I started thinking about David, the, the, the figure of, of heroic behavior in the Old Testament, David and Goliath. But if you remember that story in 1 Samuel 17, you can go back and read it, that before he went into battle, as he's getting ready to go into battle with this giant, this unbeatable foe, he stands on the field and he looks at this man taunting him and he says, you come at me with spears and shields and swords, but I come at you in the power of the Most High God who you have defiled. And on this day, he goes on, you will learn that victory is not won with weapons of war. Victor, victory is won by trusting in God, and God will give you into my hands. That's what David, he didn't go in focused on Goliath, he focused on God. He didn't focus on the adversary, he remembered his advocate. In the book of Daniel, we read the story, one of my favorites, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you remember that story, Nebuchadnezzar constructs this huge monument. And he demands all the people, when the trumpets blow, to bow down and worship it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, no, we won't. And he threatens to throw them in the fiery furnace. And in Daniel 3, you read their story. And they say, basically, and if you'll allow me to paraphrase, our God is greater than your furnace. Our God is greater than your furnace. Our God can deliver us from that furnace. But then in one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, they say this. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, even if God's plan culminates in our sacrifice, we will not worship your false God. We will trust our God in death more than we are going to put our life in your hands. And, and that is the story. And again, we could... We could Pick example after example of, of men and women who live this kind of faith. They focus, they, they, they heard this promise. I will be with you. I will be in the fight. And that's what Jesus promises. He says, I send the advocate. It is my presence to be with you. At the end of the gospel, he says, I am with you always. What, what God desires, what God hungers for us is for people... People that remember that in the midst of the battles we face, and we do, we don't face them alone. That's the promise. It's not, you know, Paul writes in Romans 8, 28, that famous verse, that God works the good in all things to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, it's not a promise that things always go our way. Paul's an embodiment of that. Paul was in prison. Paul was beaten. Paul was, you know, stoned. Paul was thrown. I mean... If, if we're categorizing life by everything always goes our way, then we'd say, Paul, these words don't make sense. But what Paul's saying to us, what our promise of faith is, that, that, that in those moments, in those challenges, in the, the prison cells, in the, the difficult battles, God's with us. And God's purpose won't be thwarted by the actions of human beings. And we have to decide, are we going to trust in that? Are we going to be focused on God or are we going to be focused on our difficulties and our challenges? And, and it's easy to say. It is hard to do. Let, let me say this. I'm not the embodiment of, of living this as faithfully as I'd like. There are oftentimes in those moments and in those challenges and those difficulties, I get very 
easily distracted, like the guy with the cell phone on his ear looking for a cell phone. You know, it's so easy to miss what's right in front of me. And I think those are moments when God says, hello, hello, I'm here. I've always been here. I'm with you. But it's so easy to lose sight of that. Too often, we become doubting in the face of death. Too often, we become weak need in the face of illness. Frequently, we find ourselves frightened in the face of danger. Worthless or feeling worthless in the face of adversity. Frozen in the face of confrontation. Uncertain in the midst of our challenges. Often life finds us despairing when we're confronted with the evil that too often is all too common. We acquiesce to greed. We become powerless in the face, of, or we feel powerless in the face of brokenness or overwhelmed in the moments of hardship. In each of these moments, which we all face, God speaks to us words like he does to the people in Deuteronomy. Chapter 20, verse 4. I am with you. I am with you. I fight your battle. You do not fight alone. You do not face them alone. You are not left without a strength beyond yourself in the midst of whatever you're faced, facing. And God works to good in all things. And so we, if we allow God to speak, we get reminded of something. That in the face of death, there is a promise of resurrection. That in the face of illness, there is a promise through faith of an eternal healing. That in the face of danger, we can trust in the strong right arm of God. In the face of adversity, there is a blessed assurance. In the face of confrontation, there is confidence. In the face of evil, there is the gift of the cross. In the face of greed, there is abundant life. In the face of brokenness, there's the promise of redemption and restoration of all things. And in the face of hardship, there is the promise of the goodness and the presence of God. But whether we see it, whether we see it, is up to us. Too often, we focus on the battle, and we forget about the God who is greater than our battles. We forget about the God who has promised to be with us. My words don't come because I think this is easy, but rather because it's true. And my challenge in my life, challenge for you, in the midst of your battle, focus on the one who is greater than your battle. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, give us strength. Because it is one thing to say it. It's another thing to live it. It is hard when the skies get dark, the ground shakes, to not take our eyes off of you. Lord, help us in those moments to find ourselves firmly planted on the rock of Christ, to trust in you, to take your promise for what it is, an eternal gift of your presence, and to trust in you who are greater than our battles. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Christ Jesus. Amen.